stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the very first episode of Raising Joy. We are so very thrilled to be launching this podcast at the time when conversations about kids and mental health are so very needed. Absolutely, Winnie. The pandemic has been hard on everyone, but especially kids and families. And with the isolation and uncertainty about the future, it's just been really tough on kids and teens. And We've seen the results of that at Cook's, unfortunately. Yep, we have. And for those of you listening who are not familiar with Cook Children's, we are a pediatric healthcare system based in Fort Worth, Texas, and we serve children and families across the state and beyond. And in 2020, when the first pandemic uh, took hold, we saw the rates of children and teens being admitted to the hospital for suicide attempts spike in record numbers. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with our very first episode. Yeah, it is. Uh, But first, um, we want to share a little background about us. Okay, is that good for you? That sounds great. All righty. I am the Chief of Communications, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at Cook Children's. And I am also a former journalist and lifelong storyteller. I love stories. I believe that honest conversations like the ones that we're about to have on this podcast are critically important and they need to be had. Absolutely. And I am Dr. Kristen Perch. I am the co-medical director for outpatient psychiatry at Cook Children's, and I see patients every day who are struggling with their mental health and well-being and how it's been impacted by the pandemic. And one thing I can say for certain is that we're seeing more severe issues in our patients Mm -hmm. than we ever had before uh, COVID-19 came along. And unfortunately with that, uh, it holds true for suicide attempts as well, well, which is uh, where the story of our podcast begins. Yeah, yeah. So let's just dive right in. Kristen, tell us what was happening in those early months of the pandemic. And it's hard to think about um, because I talk about us being in a little bit of a COVID time warp, Mm -hmm. like it changes our perception of time. But thinking all the way back to March 2020, I think initially kids were pretty excited about an extended spring break. Right. Stay like, home. <laughs> the idea yeah. that spring break was going to be two or three weeks, I think, was very exciting for all of the kids. The parents yeah. were stressed beyond belief, but kids were fine. They were doing great. But I think as time wore on and we got into May and the seniors were realizing prom's canceled and graduation isn't going to be in person, it's going to be virtual now. I think that the reality that our lives were changing mm-hmm. pretty quickly was setting in. And I think just the loss of those interactions with our friends and family, extracurricular activities, Mm -hmm. all of those things over time. I think that's really whenever things started to wear on kids. And nobody knew how long this was going to last. We had no idea. And that's what really, I think, kind of got everybody up and running. I mean, it was just like, okay, how long? Two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months? What? And now we're at two years. Yeah. And it's just, this is just, <laughs> it is worrisome. It really is. In an effort to bring attention to this problem, we launched the Joy Campaign at Cook Children's last spring. At first, we focused on writing articles and drumming up media attention, but we knew we wanted to bring these conversations to life in a way that people could connect to on a more personal level. 
And a podcast seemed to be, you know, just the right way to do it, a great way to do it, in fact. Kristen, you have been instrumental in the Joy Campaign from the very beginning. Tell us how you first became involved and what this past year has been like. Right. So as the pandemic wore on through the fall of 2020 and really into January of 2021, we noticed that kids' mental health was really uh, taking uh, a hit and that they were doing that kids were doing really poorly. And, you know, as a psychiatrist, I'm used to things kind of being bad in our world, right? Like mm-hmm. like we see kids that are sad, overwhelmed, stressed right. every day. Right. Like that's our job. And there are never enough resources. And so whenever you're keeping your head down and just trying to help as many people as possible, you don't always realize that things have gone from bad to worse. Mm. So it took uh, one of our colleagues, Dr. Powderly, who's a pediatrician in the community, to realize that things have gotten really bad. And so she sent an email to uh, our administrators, to our media relations mm-hmm. team and said, hey, I am seeing lots and lots and lots of suicide attempts in my pediatric practice. Can we please get a PSA mm-hmm. out to parents? And so that started an honest conversation with us right. about how can we address this? How can we educate the public? How can we help these parents get connected to resources when they need them? And so that's what started the joy campaign. And so, yeah. It's, yeah. And it, and it's more than just people being sad or not getting the root, not being in a routine or not having the things that they normally would have. I mean, this is now, I have to attempt suicide. Right. And, and for, for a teenager, you know, who has, I think as adults, like we realize teenagers have their whole lives in front of them. They have so much to look forward to. But I think for teens, sometimes they, they just live in here and now. And that's just part of their development. And that's just how their brain works. And so I think whenever here and now is really hard, I can't see my friends. I'm in virtual school. I have no motivation to do this geometry assignment and I'm failing. My mom's mad at me. It's hard for parents. For, for kids to see past that and they're like, well, it's not really worth living. I'm not having any fun, yeah. you know, or like, like I'm, I'm just miserable. I want to stop the misery. Yeah, it's, That's, it's really hard. It's still hard for me to put my brain around the idea that it is so bad that I'm going to have to go through some other kind of pain. Right. To get relief. Right. And and that's just, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that. But I know that there are people, of course, because we had so many numbers, we had so many kids come through the hospital who had tried, attempted suicide. It, it was just, it was, it was just amazing. I think it's important, though, that we talk about the very basics of, of health, mental health and kids. If a parent feels that their child is struggling um, and what should they be doing? And, and the struggle may be more than just, I'm sad. Or how do you know? Because, I mean, when you talk about, when you talk about um, uh, teenagers, you always talk about them sleeping. They're just lethargic. <laughs> they don't want to talk. They're moody. I mean, that's just on a regular. Right. So how do you know? Right. When does it go from regular teenage development to, okay, now we're concerned? Exactly. So a big, a huge red flag for a teenager is someone who was previously really engaged with their friend group. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they don't really care if they go to 
to see their friends. They don't really care if they go to a birthday party. They would rather just stay in the room. They're less socially engaged. For Mm -hmm. me, that is a red flag. Now, I feel like there are some, some of our friends who have autism or some of our friends who are socially anxious. They may have a small group of friends to start with. Right. That, those aren't the kids I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about kids who were previously engaged, previously in extracurriculars, mm-hmm. previously cared about school, and all of a sudden they don't care about school. They don't care about extracurriculars. They don't care if they see their friends. That's when I get really worried. Right. They don't care about hair care or makeup or, you know, the cute shoes. Yeah. They're Mm -hmm. not there anymore. And and you can can tell in those kids, like, they aren't experiencing joy. Mm. Like, they are not feeling that, um, like, the happiness and the excitement that you get when you interact with people and do things that you are good at or you really enjoy. And that's, that's really when we get worried about kiddos. Yeah. Now, we know all too well that the demand for mental health care uh, for kids is huge and the wait list, oh my goodness, to see a therapist are months and months long. Let's let's talk a little bit about the why and why why is that? Right. And and this has honestly been a problem as long as I've been a psychiatrist, mm. unfortunately. And and some of it is it just takes a long time to train a psychiatrist or train a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And we just cannot make enough to be able to support the demand that's oh. out there in the community, unfortunately. And and so I think that if we, before the pandemic, if there were not enough, and then you add the pandemic to it, and there's an increased need, mm-hmm. like kids who previously didn't have issues with depression or mood, now they do, right. then that's more people who have a need and more people that we need to be able to see. And so the the demand has mm-hmm. always been more than what we're able to provide. And it breaks my heart. So it's it's like going upstream. We need more people to get into the business. And then those who are in the business or some of them probably are aging out. Exactly. And are starting to retire. And then there's nobody there to take their place. Right. Wow. That's, yes. that's scary. Okay. Well, I should have gone back to school. <laughs> but you, you would always, it's job security. You would yeah, have a definitely job, job security. But still, it's the, the demand is very high. Um, when is it okay to wait to see a mental health professional? And, and when do parents need to take immediate action? So sometimes you're looking at your kid and you're like, okay, well, he's already, he, he's sleeping or she's sleeping a lot. But now it's, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Is that the signal? It's time to call, you know, you know, put up the bat sign. (laughs) Come on, we need to get you in somewhere. Sure. You know, I think that your pediatrician can be a good place to start Mm, because they're excellent. You know, they're they're experts in in regular development. And so they can tell you, okay, wait, this this is this part of what you're talking about is pretty normal for teenagers. They're gonna be irritable. If you ask them to clean the room, they're gonna have something to say about it. That's But, you know, whenever you ask them what they want for dinner and they're yelling, throwing things and Mm -hmm. causing a ruckus, like Mm. that's when we would kind of say, like, maybe this is unusual. I think um, also. So so I think if if you have questions, I think it's a it's a good time to have an honest conversation with your kid. And if they're in a depressed state, they may not be so open to talking. Mm -hmm. So. You know, like if you're driving in the car, I think it's a good time because it's not so awkward and you're both looking forward. So yeah. you can, yeah. hey, hey, I'm, you can, as a parent, I would say, hey, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm kind of worried about you. 
you know, I've been noticing you've done these sorts of things mm-hmm. and you're not really that interested. Like, is there something we should talk about? Or is there something going on? I think just starting those on, honest conversations can be a good start to figure out and hopefully open a door for mm-hmm. a conversation. Whenever I get really worried, whenever you absolutely should go to the emergency room mm. is if a kid comes to you and says, um, I have tried to kill myself Oof. or I'm thinking about killing myself like that. I, I think that would make any parent alarmed. Um, and so that's whenever you absolutely have to find care. Right. Them. When you're hearing the threat or the possibility of or I may have done it. And sometimes, OK, I'm not going to lie to you. I used to be a dramatic kid. OK, <laughs> I was, still kind of am over the top. You know, is it is there a difference between somebody who's really trying to get attention or somebody who really, you know, or do you just have to pay attention? Period. End story. I think I think it's really hard, right? Because as a parent, no one wants to believe that their kid could actually do that. Like, it's just not something we're really prepared as parents to deal with. But it is true. Kids do attempt. And so I would say take it seriously. Um and and you're right. There are kids that are act or just they're they're just dramatic, and they're I, well. And or, or sometimes whenever I talk to kids, I'll say, "Well, you know, like, do you think you would actually do it after they've calmed down and they're not so frustrated?" And they'll say, "No." And I and I'll say, "Okay, so now you're okay. When you're frustrated, do you think you would do it?" And they said, "No." And I'll say, "Okay, so do you think that that those are the only words that you could find mm-hmm. to say how frustrated you are?" And they're like, "Yes." Mm. And I say please don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. I was like, you could say anything, yeah. like invent a word, I like anything, but right. please don't say that. Because if you say that at school, if you say that at home, it sets up all kinds of alarm bells for people and you'll end up in the emergency room. You could end up in the, the psychiatric hospital right. and you didn't really need it. So right. I, beg kids, please don't say that if you don't need it. Yeah. One of the things that's difficult about being a parent, though, you really kind of have to be, you really kind of have to pay attention. I mean, yes. you know, yes, yes, everybody's running, everybody's doing, everybody's got this, that, and the other. But you really do have to have that internal ear. I need to be paying attention. At some point, you got to slow down. Yes. And you got to look around the room and you got to take a temperature check from time to time. Absolutely. And and that's important. I guess, mom, yes, dad, your your lives are important too. Lots needs to be done. Food on the table, roof over the head, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you do have to just stop and take inventory. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Ooh, okay. Can you walk <laughs> us through the different kinds of mental health care? Because we've gone from depression to, okay, I tried it. Uh, you know, and everything, there's got to be stuff in between. So can you walk us through what the care is, what care is available to kids? Sure. So there are, this will maybe be a little bit confusing, but there are, there's psychology and psychiatry, which okay. are a little bit different. So psychologists can offer counseling, which I will always say is amazing. If you have concerns about your kids and you're just not sure mm-hmm. if, if, if it could be depressed, Counseling is a great place to start and you can call your insurance company or there are some agencies um, in the community who provide sliding scale counseling and those sorts of things. The thing about counseling that I love is that they teach you coping skills to deal with whenever you're frustrated, anxious, depressed, and you can use those for the rest of your life. 
So yes, it's a huge time commitment. It can be very expensive, but I think it's worth every penny because it can change the trajectory of your kid. So kids who are depressed, they're not going to do as well in school because they just don't care. And, um, or maybe they're not, they're not going to reach their full potential if they're also dealing with depression. So I say it's worth every penny. So outpatient counseling would be a great place to start. If you met with a counselor and they said, Hey, you know, we've been working on this for six months and the anxiety is still, it's really bad. It's keeping her from meeting her full potential. They may say, Hey, I think it's time to talk about medicine. Mm. And if that were the case, then they may come see me as a psychiatrist. And so hopefully outpatient in a clinic, we would be able to get some other depression or anxiety under control. Mm -hmm. But if, if that were not successful and they needed help sooner, there is another level of care called partial hospitalization Mm -hmm. where they go during the, like basically during school hours and they get therapy and they do art therapy and they see a psychiatrist and they get family therapy. And so that can be very helpful. And then what I love about it is kids leave and then they go back home where it may be stressful and they get to use what they learned mm-hmm. in the process. So mm-hmm. that's that's what can be very helpful for people. The highest level of care for us is um, inpatient hospitalization, which is an, a locked facility where you go and no one ever wants their kid to go there. Doctors do not want kids to have to go there. It's kind of the, our last resort. And it really is if a kid is a danger to themselves or others. So I have a plan to hurt myself. Well, you're going to go to the hospital and we're going to try our best to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's never, it's, it's never the first, well, sometimes it is a first option because we don't realize that a kid's so depressed until it gets too, too bad. Until it's too bad. And then mm-hmm. they're, they're Let, let's talk a little bit about aging. I know we, we've kind of brushed around, you know, teenagers, adolescents, but, as I am examining and researching and, and watching this phenomenon, it seems like these kids are getting younger. Yes. It seems like it's not just the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds. It is now six, seven, eight. It is getting younger. It how, is. how is that? Why is that? You know, I think that I, I do think that overall our society is just more stressed. And so if if parents are also stressed, teachers are stressed, it kind of boils down to kids and they feel like, you know, like it's not worth it. And maybe they feel like no one really cares about me. Yeah. Um, and some of that is the depression talking, right? Like you don't realize, hey, my my mom loves me to death. Yeah. And she would be totally devastated yeah. if something happened to me. But depression, you may not really be cognizant of that. So, yeah, unfortunately, it is getting younger and younger and younger. It, it, again, I, I go back to the same thing that I said. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to wrap my mind around the idea that a seven-year-old I know. has that kind of an idea. I know. And, and how bad must it be? Mm-hmm. And even you as a parent, I don't see it that bad. The kid is eating. Right. Th- there's, there's plenty of internet. And there's, you know, there's right. everything is here. What? I, you know, I, I think you hit on something. I think, unfortunately, kids do have a lot of unrestricted internet usage. Mm. And so they may pick up on some things that other people are saying. And they're like, well, that person said that they were like, this is what could happen. Whereas I don't think that, um, you know, 
whenever I was growing up, I was not even aware Mm -mm. that this was an option. So, Mm. you know, I I think there are a lot of things that are causing it to get younger and younger. I think awareness for younger kids, because we're exposed to everything on the internet, plays a small role. One other thing, um, when a child is in whatever level of care that they're in, sure, I would imagine that there is a um, uh, an understanding or realization that the parent has to be involved. Absolutely. And and so I don't want it to. I don't want to walk away thinking that oh, it's all the kid and the psychologist or the psychiatrist doing this. This is something that everybody has to kind of get involved in. 100%. So one of my very favorite attendings in training said that we should be renamed family psychiatrist mm. as opposed to child psychiatrist because kids don't get better in a vacuum. It's a whole family system that needs to support the kiddo getting better. And so I could not agree with you more. I think the most helpful intervention is the family therapy on uh, on the partial hospitalization and on inpatient because, you know, kids can... In- as, a, as adults, we may say something to our kids and we mean one thing, but kids mm. hear it differently mm. and they receive it differently. And so they may really take something to heart and having those on, honest conversations with a professional, like with a counselor, they, it, it just really helps with that communication. And that I think is key. Yeah. They can mediate and interpret what this parent is saying. I, I did say it this way, but that's not what I meant. You know, that's not what I meant. No, no, no. Right. I didn't get it that way. Right. Yeah, that's really tough. Is there anything else that um, you want parents to know as they are navigating this challenging time for the kids? I think it's very easy whenever your kid is suffering to internalize that and say, I'm a bad mom. This wouldn't happen if I were, you know, like you, Mm -hmm. you really internalize how well your kid's doing. But the fact that you're listening to this podcast, the fact that you love your kid to death, Mm -hmm. the fact that you would do anything to make them feel better means that you're a good parent. Mm -hmm. So please hear that uh, 100%. And I think if you go in knowing that you're trying your best, I think it just, and you're honest with your kid and say that, it it can open a door to have an honest conversation about everybody's trying their best, but we got, maybe we need some help today. Yeah. I I wrote the word stigma down as you were talking. And I know that, you know, my child is a reflection of me. And if they're not well, I'm not well. Something's not good. We got to get out of that. Absolutely. We got to get away from that and give yourself, and I love this phrase, give yourself some grace. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, this is hard enough. It's hard enough. We don't need to be the Stepford wives, the Stepford moms, the <laughs> Stepford kids. We've we've got to be real, and we've really got to get these kids a, a, a good foundation. Right, because if we're not honest about how we're doing mm-hmm. and how we're feeling, how can we expect our kids to do that with a therapist? How yeah. can we expect them to be upfront and honest? So absolutely, needing mental health help for yourself or for your kids is not a failing. It is not a moral failing. It is not something that you did wrong. It could be lots and lots and lots of terrible things that happen to people. It could be genetically. You Mm -hmm. are more likely to have these kind of things happen. And so it's, I don't think it's, it's not a failing on your part. Just like if you had diabetes, we wouldn't tell you to just, you know, Mm -hmm. just tough it out. You're going to be just fine. No, we're going to let them see an endocrinologist. We're going to get them the help they need. We're going to make sure they have insulin that they need. So We just got to give, make sure we get the tools that we need and we make sure our kids get the tools that they need 
whether that be counseling, medicine, or hospitalization, yeah. if it had to come to that. And and you don't want to, you know, of course, you don't want to, you know, share all the, the dirty laundry, but sometimes it is good to have conversations with other people about this because you never know who else is going through the same situation. And uh, apparently a lot of other people are going through the same situation. Yes, unfortunately, that is the case. Um, and and whenever I see patients after they've been in the hospital, the teens especially tell me the most helpful thing for them was realizing that they weren't alone, mm. that there was there were 10, 15 other kids sitting around in a circle in group therapy and they are all having the same struggle. But, you know, I think when you're depressed, you just, you, your brain really focuses on the negative. And so you see, I'm the only one that's struggling. Everyone else is having fun, but not me. The mm -hmm. truth is, that's really not what's happening. And when there are 10 or 15 kids hanging around that circle, there are 10, 15 plus parents. Exactly. Who are doing, you know, who could be doing the same thing. And, they, and they're all going through the same thing. Right. Yeah. So somebody could, you know, teach one, reach one. I don't know what, but <laughs> but sometimes opening up, it really does. It does help. Absolutely. It, it helps. Well, thank you so much for helping us set the stage for this podcast and why we feel it's such an important topic. We know these are not always the easiest conversations. They aren't easy conversations um, to have, but we hope that the parents feel empowered. And when it comes to their child's uh, mental health, that they're going to uh, be active and show up. Absolutely. And to our listeners, if you're worried about yourself or your child, please know that there's help available. The Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255, or you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. If you want to learn more about our joy campaign, you can find more information on checkupnewsroom.com and cookchildrens.org slash joy. We would also love your support as we embark on this new journey. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time, have, have a joyful day. day.